Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is another episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. My name is Farzi Vasuga and your host of the Chief Zone Podcast. A lot to get into this week with Chiefs football. The preseason schedule is out. I'll tell you guys who the four opponents are and in which weeks the Chiefs will be playing them. Mel Kuyper had some interesting comments about the Kansas City Chiefs and more specifically Pat Mahomes and the offense. And he had kind of an interesting suggestion about who he thinks the Chiefs should take with their first draft pick, which is going to come in the second round, 54th overall. Might surprise you what he had thought initially at one point. I'll tell you what he had thought and then what his new idea was, his new mock draft essentially, and what he thinks the Chiefs will do in the second round. Plus, one former Chiefs player was voted as the best player from the college that he went to in their program's history. I'll tell you which player that is and kind of a a topic that I wanted to discuss and that, that, that kind of gave me an idea. There's an interesting conversation going on on our Facebook page. And I want to have another conversation kind of similar to this. So we'll get into all of that in just a moment. Plus, we'll do our closing segments at the end of the podcast. Speaking of the Facebook page I mentioned just a moment ago, I'm on social media if you guys want to interact with me. Facebook.com slash Farzimusugian. That is my Facebook page. Like and follow me on Facebook. You guys can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. Guys can interact with me on those social media pages. You guys can also email me, farzine at farzinevesugian.com. Been a very quiet week for the Kansas City Chiefs. Not a whole lot going on, of course. Uh, at this point in the offseason, a lot of draft talk. And not a lot of news regarding free agency. A couple of things out there. And then there's one bit of news with the Kansas City Chiefs that I want to get into. But obviously a very quiet week. Of course, the social media page is a little bit down. Uh, I'm not getting as much emails during this time of the year, which is certainly understandable, and that's expected, but definitely will pick back up uh, as the draft is going to be coming very soon, and there there are going to be a lot of things to talk about, and I'll say this again because I think it's worth mentioning, but this offseason, it's all about that transition with Patrick Mahomes, and we discussed that a little bit with Therese Paylor last week, who was on the podcast, Therese Paylor, the Chiefs beat writer for the Kansas City Star, if you haven't heard yet, go check it out uh, on the archive section on iTunes. And speaking of iTunes, if you haven't, make sure you're subscribed, share the podcast on social media if you like it, let your friends know about the podcast. But we talked to Therese about that, and this is that transition where you're going from Alex Smith to Pat Mahomes, and you're bringing back all of your skill position guys on offense, and not just regular skill position guys. We're talking about some elite players. Kareem Hunt, He led the NFL in rushing last year. Travis Kelsey, one of the best tight ends in the league. And Tyreek Hill, one of the best and more explosive offensive weapons in the league. And the Chiefs added Sammy Watkins to the offense. An already stacked offense. And I think this is going to be an offense that's going to be a force to be reckoned with. No one's really disagreeing with that. You just want to be able to have that balance on the defensive side of the football. And I think there are some, there's maybe a little bit of a a debate here. Because everyone's wanting a defensive heavy draft. But at the end of the day, 
would you be opposed to the idea of adding more offensive playmakers? So in other words, with that 54th pick, assuming the Chiefs do not trade away, they, they don't trade up or trade down. Uh, let me rephrase this. Regardless of what their first pick is, and I'm just assuming they're going to stay with the 54th pick, would you be opposed if the Chiefs got an offensive football player? I know a lot of you guys are probably thinking, absolutely not, the Chiefs need to go on the defensive side, and I can understand that. Uh, But I've also said on the podcast before, I don't think the defense is as bad as some people are Trying to make it sound, uh, and I've and I've I've explained why in the past, uh, but there are, and we talked about it with Therese a little bit last week too. Uh, but I think this does create kind of an interesting conversation here as to what the Chiefs could do with that fifty fourth pick. So I'll ask again: Would you be opposed if the Chiefs use that fifty fourth pick to draft an offensive player? Think about that. We'll, we'll we'll get into that topic later on in the podcast. So while while you're listening to the podcast, or if you if you take a break from listening and then you come back later, think about that for a moment. Because I, if you can have an open mind about that, maybe there's a player that could be available with the 54th pick that would be very hard to pass up on to bolster that offense even more. And I'll explain a little bit later why that would be good for the Chiefs. Later on in the in the podcast. For now, not a lot of Kansas City Chiefs news. The Chiefs did sign a veteran tight end earlier this week. Someone who has been out of action for a couple of years and kind of has an uphill battle trying to make a 53-man roster in the NFL. Uh, Tim Wright, uh, former tight end, uh, undrafted out of Rutgers in 2013, went to Tampa Bay his first year, spent the following year with the Patriots, briefly played in the Super Bowl uh, the same Super Bowl where the Patriots defeated the Seattle Seahawks and owns a Super Bowl ring. He returned to Tampa Bay very briefly. He was claimed off waivers, was traded to Detroit in exchange for place kicker Kyle Brinza, and ended up playing for Detroit in 2015. Started one game, played in nine others, uh, but in the summer of 2016 in the offseason, suffered a torn ACL, uh, so he was out of action for all of 2016, and in 20 August of 2017, he ended up re-signing with Detroit only to be released within the same month and did not play a game, a regular season game in the NFL last year. And now he's getting an opportunity to prove himself and is looking to get on an NFL roster going into a regular season in 2018. So look, I obviously Tim Wright, let's be honest, not many of us have heard of him before. Even if you even like the most hardcore college football follower, unless you are a hardcore Rutgers fan, probably had no idea who he was uh and don't know very much about him as far as statistics go uh for him. Uh I mean not not too bad in 2013. With the Bucks, 54 catches for 571 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, started eight of those games for the Bucks. For the Patriots, playing all 16, also played all 16 in his rookie season. Uh, with the Patriots, uh, started two games, had 26 receptions for 259 yards, fewer yards and fewer catches, but more touchdowns. Six of them he caught in the end zone, 
And then in 2015, the most recent season he's played in the NFL, just nine grabs for 77 yards and a pair of touchdowns. So even though he doesn't play a whole lot uh, and isn't used much in the offense, uh, he is used quite a lot in red zone situations. And if you look at his average, his uh, yards per, uh, per catch on average in 2013, his rookie year, 10.6. With the Pats, it was 10.0. And the Lions, 8.6. So even though he's not used a whole lot with the width of the field, and in terms of you know using him vertically, they use him quite a lot in the end zone. And that could be an area where if he excels and can show some improvement and do more of that, and if not, maybe even better in OTAs, training camp, and even in preseason games, perhaps that could be enough to allow him to get a spot on the 53-man roster, and perhaps maybe eventually is the tight end behind Travis Kelsey. We'll see what happens with Demetrius Harris and what the Chiefs want to do there, but I could see the Chiefs, especially when I talked about this not too long ago with Pat Mahomes and the offense that the Chiefs want to try to operate, and I think this would have benefited Alex Smith greatly if he was still the quarterback here in Kansas City, but uh, who's to say that Mahomes doesn't do some of the things that Alex Smith did? Sure, I mean, a, a lot of people know Mahomes is more of a deep passer, and I think that's certainly going to be expected of him. But maybe he picked up some tools uh, from Alex Smith with some of these short to uh, medium passes here, especially with tight ends. Uh, we, we know Alex Smith had a lot of success with uh, Vernon Davis and Travis Kelsey in the NFL. And who's to say that maybe... Pat Mahomes doesn't pick up some of that and tries to figure out how to have some kind of success with those short to medium passes and how that can translate into success down the road. Maybe Pat Mahomes does some of that as well. Maybe he does it better than Alex Smith does. And I think if you have a guy like Tim Wright, maybe that could set up a very interesting one-two combo with Travis Kelsey and Tim Wright where Wright ends up, or Kelsey is still your primary tight end. He'll get a lot of the yards for you. Uh, and be the primary tight uh, tight end for the Chiefs, but maybe not the number one option in the end zone for Kansas City And as far as tight ends go, and that, that's Tim Wright's job. Especially if you're in goal line formations, that could be an area where Tim Wright really comes through and could be a key factor for an NFL offense. And given Andy Reid's style of offense and some of the things that Pat Mahomes may have picked up from Alex Smith, this could be a great place for Tim Wright to get another opportunity and try to see if he can earn another job and succeed in his second chance in the NFL. So certainly something to keep an eye on going into OTAs and training camp this year and seeing how he does in those preseason games. So Tim Wright, uh, definitely a player to keep an eye on. I, I know that's the uh, tight end position. Maybe I, I understand backup positions aren't the most exciting, especially with uh, with the Chiefs when there are a lot of expectations for this team to go far. But you never know. I mean, we have 53 players on a roster for a reason, and Tim Wright's certainly a guy who could be a key key player for the Chiefs, maybe in a quiet manner, uh, but could certainly play a big role on on this offense if he does make the 53-man roster. Switching gears now to the preseason schedule, because let's be honest, I know you guys are all thrilled and ecstatic for the preseason schedule to come out, so let's spend a lot of time on this. Uh, actually, we'll, we'll make it very brief, but week one, Houston 
they will be visiting the Chiefs. Now, by the way, the dates, the exact dates are still to be determined, but anytime from August 9th through the 13th, the Houston Texans will visit Arrowhead Stadium in week one of the preseason. In week two, the Chiefs will go visit the Atlanta Falcons uh, anytime between August the 16th through the 20th. Uh, week three, the Chiefs will go visit the Chicago Bears. Of course, Matt Nagy, former Chiefs offensive coordinator in his first year as the head coach of the Chicago Bears. That could take place anywhere from August the 23rd through the 26th. And then in week four, uh, in the preseason finale against the Green Bay Packers, who uh, a team who the Chiefs have been playing quite a bit in preseason finales the past few years, uh, that'll be on either August the 30th or the 31st. All of the games or on KCTV5, the Chiefs did have one national game on CBS in the preseason last year, but not the case this year. All of them on KCTV5. If you're not in the area and you still want to catch these preseason games, if you're not in the Kansas City area, if you don't get KCTV5, if you have NFL Network, NFL Network does a great job of broadcasting really almost all of the preseason games. They have a condensed version of it, shortened commercials, of course. That plays a big role in it. And uh, they'll show you the plays that you really need to see. And they do a good job of airing these games during the day, the afternoon, really before uh, the evening when a lot of these preseason games get underway. Or they'll just go crazy and air them uh, you know, during the weekend. Uh, they'll even rerun some of these games over and over again throughout the week before the, ne- the, the new week of a preseason game begins. So for those who do want to catch every snap of... The Chiefs preseason, uh, and if you're not in Kansas City, if you do not if you do not have KCTV five, or if you don't have access to one of those online streams, uh, NFL Network is a great way to try to catch all of the Chiefs preseason action. So there it is. I mean, obviously, not much to say about the preseason. I will say for the regular season, the schedule is expected to come out sometime next week. I, I know April nineteenth is the rumored date. And if you go to arrowheadaddict.com, I just submitted a piece that should be up by the time this podcast is up on Thursday. Uh, There is an article of five games from Kansas City's list of opponents, five teams, I should say, uh, but the five games that I do think that will be on primetime football that we can expect to be on primetime football. Of course, the Chiefs had six primetime games last year. That was a franchise record, also more than any other team last season. So definitely uh, looking forward for the Chiefs to be involved in more primetime action because fans love that. They really do. They love the national exposure, even though you don't get any any added bonus to your wins or even losses. But uh, everyone still loves that national exposure one way or another. And I've got some intriguing statistics in that article on Arrowhead Attic. So go check it out and read what I have to say about the Chiefs, plus the five uh, games that I think will be on primetime football. All right, so I asked you guys at the beginning of the podcast, would you guys be opposed if the Chiefs use their first draft pick, which as of right now, it's the 54th overall pick, would you be opposed if they use that pick on an offensive player instead of a defensive player. A lot of people are in agreement that this should be a defensive heavy draft for the Kansas City Chiefs, but maybe the Chiefs surprise us here. Maybe they go in another direction. And listen, I've said this before. Sure, the first round, it's it's pretty easy to to, to project. Uh, I, mean, I don't, don't want to say it's easy, but it's easier 
once we get to the second round, the third rounds, and afterwards, you, it's a crapshoot. It really is. You truly do not know who teams are going to take. Sometimes teams will spend their first four picks on offense or all on defense. Uh, you never know sometimes with these draft picks. Uh, a lot of times you look at all the needs and you're hoping all of them get filled with each of these draft picks. If you have four uh, four position needs, you expect your team to have all four of those covered with, the, with their first four draft picks, but it, it doesn't always pan out that way. So, and considering the Chiefs have a second round pick, maybe the Chiefs go in another direction. Let's look at Mel Kuyper. And what he said, Mel Kuyper, of course, of ESPN said, the Chiefs have not given quarterback Patrick Mahomes enough weapons for 2018 because they didn't have a 1,000-yard rusher and a 1,000-yard receiver at tight end and receiver each. So obviously the Chiefs, you know, according to Mel Kuyper at least, uh, they don't have enough weapons for Patrick Mahomes. They did not go out and, and try to get a speedy guy. Uh, out there in free agency to bring in on the offense. So so Matt, Patrick Mahomes is doomed. He's doomed. Doesn't have enough offensive weapons. My takeaway from that, uh, I guess putting too much hairspray can definitely give you a concussion and make you say some erroneous things. And perhaps Mel Kuyper needs to be part of the concussion protocol if ESPN has such thing. He also went on over the weekend... And uh, this was written by Matt Connor of Arrowhead Addict. Uh, Mel Kuyper had a mock draft. It's a, you, need, you have to be an ESPN insider to uh, be able to check all of it out. But according to that mock draft that he had over the weekend, he has the Kansas City Chiefs taking wide receiver James Washington out of Oklahoma State because Patrick Mahomes does not have enough weapons, allegedly. So, okay, let me just be realistic with you guys. Obviously, this sounds crazy. There are bigger holes the Chiefs need to fill. Maybe you could bring in another linebacker in rotation uh, with the interior guys, or maybe find another outside linebacker if you're not confident in D Ford. Definitely got to find a nose tackle. Benny Logan has moved on to the Titans. Dontari Poe has signed with the Panthers. Ndamukong Sue is with the Rams. So there aren't a lot of viable options as far as nose tackles go. So, shouldn't Kansas City go after one of those guys? Maybe a safety? And Mel Kuyper, at least in this mock draft that he did, he's predicting the Chiefs will get James Washington, the wide receiver from Okie State. Now, I actually thought about that for a minute, and I gave it some thought, and I thought, wait a minute. If James Washington is available, what would I rather have? Even more power on the on the offensive side of the football? Or do I want to see a balanced offense? and a, Do I want to see that balance on offense and defense? And I've got to be honest, if I had to give you an answer right now, I'd go with the former. I would love to see, if available, I'd love to see James Washington come to Kansas City. I know a lot of you guys hearing that might not like it, might call it a head-scratcher, but... He put up some really good numbers in college, and I think this could be a guy that whatever NFL offense he joins, if he can just adjust to that quarterback style of play, he definitely could be a key player. And listen, nowadays in the NFL, 
with offenses being big and crazy. And I know Kansas City, can't ever since this pass-heavy era of football has occurred in the NFL the past few years, Kansas City has not really been part of that until last season where they were only the second team in NFL history to have a quarterback throw for 4,000 yards, a running back run for 1,000 yards, and have a tight end and a receiver each catch for more than 1,000 yards. So you don't get that a whole lot on an NFL offense. But what if you have, let's just, of course this is bearing any injury, but what if you have Kareem Hunt, plus a couple of reliable backups there in Spencer Ware and Sharkandrick West. What if you have Sammy Watkins and Tyreek Hill as your starting wide receivers, plus you have Travis Kelsey as your tight end, and if Tim Wright ends up doing good things for the Chiefs this offseason and makes the team, he could be a reliable backup tight end for the Chiefs. Now, that also leads us to what do you have with your depth? at wide receiver for Mahomes to to work with. Demarcus Robinson, I thought, made some flashes last year. Chris Conley showed some improvement last year before that Achilles injury that he suffered in week four, I believe, uh, against the, or week five, rather, against the Houston Texans on Sunday Night Football. What happens if the Chiefs add a guy like James Washington? Well, I think this offense gets a lot better. They really do. And I think he really would benefit from playing under Andy Reid, of course. I've talked about how I feel like Andy Reid always brings out the best in players on the field and even off the field. But with the players that James Washington will be surrounded by, he really can learn a lot from guys like Tyree Kill, Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey, uh, Mahomes as well. I mean, these guys have a little bit of familiarity with each other being in the Big 12. I know not the greatest football conference, but hey, look, if a certain player, regardless of what conference he was in, if he was great and if he's expected to do well in the NFL, why not? Here are some of the numbers for James Washington. His freshman year in 2014, 28 catches, 456 yards, 6 touchdowns, and that was just his freshman year, and it gets better from there. 2015 as a sophomore, 53 catches, 1,087 yards, and 10 touchdown grabs that year. The following season as a junior, 71 catches, 1,380 yards, and 10 touchdowns once again. No improvement with the touchdowns, but you you had 18 more catches and almost 300 more receiving yards. Oh, by the way, it gets better then. Three more catches in 2017, 74 catches to the 71 catches he had in 2016, 1,549 yards and 13 touchdowns as a senior with the Cowboys. And this was with Mason Rudolph as the quarterback under center for a majority of his time. James Washington and Mason Rudolph, they both entered Oklahoma State, I believe, at the same time and graduated at the same time. Mason Rudolph Played a little bit in 2014, not a whole lot, but was the main quarterback in 2015, 2016, and 2017. And James Washington was really his top target. And I know defenses aren't really the greatest in the in the Big 12. And as far as NFL comparisons go, it's not necessarily the truest test for an offensive player in the Big 12 going up against a Big 12 defense. Because generally speaking, we don't hear a lot of good things when it comes to defenses in the Big 12. 
Now, at the same time, you can't fault James Washington for the success he had. I mean, he had what he had to to work with, and he excelled. When his number was called, he definitely showed up and made a big impact on that Cowboys offense. He was 27th in receiving yards as a sophomore. He was 10th in the same category his junior year, and he led all college football players during his senior year with those 1,549 receiving yards. Now, oddly enough, he's not projected to go very high. And I'll be honest, too. This is why I'm not a scout, and we have some scouts, uh, some friends of the podcast, such as guys like Dan Shonka and Matt Miller, who come on, and, and they give their side of things uh, from their point of view why certain players go a certain direction. Uh, I don't know what I'm looking for a lot of times when I when I read about these guys or why certain players that do so well in college don't pan out to do well in the NFL. Because here's my opinion, and again, I'm no scout, but I, I think I, I'm onto something here. And let me know if you guys agree or disagree. I think for a wide receiver, if regardless of what style of offense they play in or how much they were challenged by opposing defenses in college football, which in James Washington's case, not very much, especially in the Big 12. If that wide receiver, and I'll even include tight ends in this, if they can show a lot of strengths and have a good college career, really I think they can be part of any NFL offense. Sure, every NFL wide receiver coming out of college has to make certain adjustments and you know get their timing right with the quarterback. You know, it's it's a brand new system. You've got to learn your QB style of play when he makes his throws and at the right time, being at the right place at the right time too, all of that. And that's what they have all these practices for in preseason games as well. But I feel like any wide receiver that does really well, such as James Washington, I think he will fit right in and do really well under any NFL offense. So if he is available by the time the Chiefs are on the clock with the 54th pick, I don't know if I'm opposed to this. I really can't say I would be. Because he would add a little bit more strength, speed, and and just some, some power to this stacked offense. And listen, I know the old saying goes, defense wins championships, and the Denver Broncos, they certainly showed their defensive prowess when Peyton Manning was having a really bad year. But that's a very rare instance. That almost never happens in the NFL. I'd be more inclined to have a top-notch offense than a top-notch defense. The Chiefs have had a top-notch defense the past few years. As you may remember, in 2012, despite going 2-14, and they sent three linebackers to the Pro Bowl, plus Eric Berry. Holly, DJ, and Houston all went to the Pro Bowl. In 2013, all of those three linebackers plus Eric Berry went to the Pro Bowl. Dontari Poe, I believe, was also a Pro Bowler that year for the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs had just had playmakers all across on the defensive side of the football. And on the offensive side, not, not so much. And 2014, a bit of a more quiet season for the offense while the defense continued to really do well. Uh, and, and we've talked about this many times, about how the defense has been one of the best when it comes to sacks and takeaways. 
I remember in 2014, the Chiefs defense did not allow 30 or more points in a single game that year. And they don't allow 30 or more points in a lot of games ever since Andy Reid's gotten here. And that's nice and all. All the sacks and takeaways, all that stuff is great. But at the end of the day, how much success has that given the Chiefs in the postseason? Not a whole lot. And as far as offensive success goes, we haven't seen much of that lately. We really haven't under Andy Reid. Yes, 2017 was a great year offensively for the Kansas City Chiefs, but we saw what happened in the playoffs. They only did great for one half, and they were completely shut down in the second half of that football game. So listen, I'm not a, if I have to decide right now, what do I want more? Do I want to improve this average defense the Chiefs have? Or do I want to keep adding more to this really strong-looking offense? And I don't think you can ever be too complacent offensively. I think this Chiefs defense will still do some great things. I really I really do. But at the end of the day, I'm not opposed if a guy like James Washington is available with the 54th pick. And if Kansas City takes him, I'm going to do my absolute best to not go crazy at Kauffman Stadium because I'm actually going to be at uh, at the game uh, the uh, the second day of the draft. So, I've got to say, I'm not opposed if a guy like James Washington ends up coming to Kansas City. Let me know your thoughts. Facebook.com slash Farzian Twitter.com slash Farzian21. Farzian at Farzianvasugian.com is my email. Now, oddly enough... Mel Kuyper, of course, nowadays, especially this month, this time of year, uh, everyone wants an, an updated mock draft just about every other day. Mel Kuyper has updated his mock draft, and now he has the Kansas City Chiefs taking Alabama safety Ronnie Harrison, who had five interceptions in his college career, played three years with the Crimson Tide, uh, and appeared in a national title game all three years, won two of those and only three career losses as a college football player. So obviously has that winning mentality. And although statistics are nice and all, that winning mentality, I think, can go a long way. And I said that about Deshaun Watson last year when I thought the Chiefs were going to go after him in the draft last year. But of course, went with Patrick Mahomes instead. Kuyper also has the Chiefs taking offensive tackle from Mississippi State, Martinus Rankin, uh, with the 78th overall pick. And Lance Zierlein, who, who's done a great job analyzing all of these college football players entering the draft on NFL.com, he says that Rankin will struggle with edge speed as a left tackle and have some issues as a run blocker on the right side of the football. Could be an average tackle or guard in the NFL, but he's best suited to be a center in the NFL. Very similar to Mitch Morse coming out of Mizzou, drafted by the Chiefs in the second round a couple of years ago. Was an offensive tackle, transformed into a center in the NFL, and here he is with Kansas City now. Got off to a great start as a rookie, kind of has fallen off a little bit, but has had an up and down career as a center here in Kansas City. Third round pick, the other third round pick the Chiefs have, 86 overall, uh, Virginia Tech uh, defensive lineman, Tim Settle, defensive tackle, uh, it naturally a 4-3 defensive lineman, but can also play in the 3-4. A lot of times you hear this about defensive linemen. They might naturally be a 4-3 or a 3-4 guy, but they can also play in the other system. And I think a lot of times players will say that in their 
in their interviews with teams or with the media just so they can... Because let's be honest, is a defensive lineman ever going to say, well, I can't play in the 4-3? Then all of a sudden you limit yourself to very few teams out there if you speak that that way about you. you, you you've got to be able to sell it yourself. And certainly scouts, GMs, and teams know what they're doing when they want to pick a lineman and decide whether or not he's good for our system or not. So uh, I, I, I think Tim Settle could pan out to be a good guy. Zerloin, excuse me, uh, reading his analysis of him, talked about how uh, he does have a Pro Bowl ceiling if he maintains his weight and his conditioning. He only played two years of football at Virginia Tech. He's entering the draft, foregoing his junior and senior seasons. He, he lost a lot of weight his sophomore year, before his sophomore year got under, underway officially. And that really boded well for him, and that translated into a better season for him. That gave him four sacks last year as a sophomore. Those are the only sacks he's had in his college football career. Did that last year and improved quite a lot as a Hokie in his only one offseason that he's had at Virginia Tech. So teams are definitely taking a risk on a guy like him where he doesn't have a lot of experience playing in college football but does feel like he's NFL ready. Maybe teams are not willing to roll the dice on him early and will wait for maybe the second or the third day. But perhaps if he's surrounded by a good coaching staff, this is a guy who could eventually excel and become a very good defensive lineman down the road. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. So there are some names. We haven't gone into details with some of these names in uh, the second round or even a little bit of the later rounds. But here we are. we got a couple of names out there. Talked about James Washington, the wide receiver from Oklahoma State, the safety from Alabama, Ronnie Harrison, a lot of winning there, of course. Uh, offensive tackle out of Mississippi State, Martinez Rankin, and Virginia Tech defensive tackle Tim Settle. Uh, some of the options, some of the guys that Mel Kuyper has projected to come to Kansas City. Let me know your guys' thoughts on all of this. Let me know on Facebook, Twitter, or you guys can email me. Let me know your guys' thoughts on all of uh, all of these players, or if you think there's another player in the second or the third rounds who the Chiefs should consider. Before we wrap up the show and do our closing segments, I want to talk about this for a moment. Because we talked about Alabama just a moment ago with Ronnie Harrison. Alabama fans on some Alabama football sports blog, they voted on the best player in program history and former Chiefs linebacker, of course, one of the best linebackers, one of the best pass rushers to ever play the game. He was voted as the best player in Alabama's history, the history of their program. So I asked you guys on the Facebook page, do you think he is the best Chiefs player of all time? A lot of people think he's the best player in Alabama history. Is he also the best player in Chiefs history? And a lot of you guys said yes. Some of you guys threw a couple of other names out there as to who the best player of all time is. Some people said Lon Dawson, Tony Gonzalez. Uh, guys who have also, of course, you know, those guys have a, have a case as well. Uh, but a lot of people went with Derek Thomas on, on this one. And I've got to say I do agree with that. I think Derek Thomas brought a style of football, especially during a point where Chiefs football was really low. And he came in and helped the Chiefs rise and become really relevant during the 90s and became just one of the most ferocious and feared players during the 90s as well. So I think that's certainly a player uh, who I think should be tabbed as the best player in franchise history 
for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I've got to be honest, I'm not the most familiar when it comes to college football, especially individual programs and their histories. But hey, if a lot of Alabama fans feel that way, uh, sure, maybe their word's good for it. They, of course, follow the team very closely, more than I do. So I, I'll take their word for it. And that's that, that's pretty impressive to say because Alabama does have a rich rich history. Of course, the past few years with Nick Saban there, uh, they've been very successful. They've had a lot of great players there, but still a defensive player. And I know Alabama historically has been very good defensively. Uh, generally, w- with successful college programs, you th- you would think an offensive player would earn an, an honor like this. But no, it's DT who was named as the, the best player. Not just best defensive player, just overall best player in Alabama's history. And a lot of you guys feel the same way about him in Chiefs franchise history so i asked you guys on the facebook page uh and we've got a lot of great discussions going on on the facebook page right now top five chiefs of all time and just about everybody on there uh, that commented included Derek thomas now we got another interesting debate going on on the facebook page i asked you guys this and some of you guys thought it was silly but i'll explain why i asked you guys who is the best player to wear 82 dante hall or Dwayne bow i asked this same exact question a couple of years into Dwayne bow's career and a lot of people said Dwayne Bow. now that Dwayne Bow's no longer a chief I decided to ask this question and a lot of you guys are saying Dante Hall and some of you guys even said this is a silly question funny how that works and I think this is proof that people can be a prisoner in the moment sometimes and they'll go with the guy that's currently on the team so uh, that is, and there are some people who are making a case for Bo in the comment section too, which is interesting. Interesting. So if you want to be part of that discussion, go on social media on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugi. And that's where a lot of the discussion is taking place. You guys can also let me know on Twitter at Farzine 21, but going back to the Derek Thomas discussion, there is something that I want to bring up here on the podcast and I'll post a question Thursday evening for everyone to see, and I think this would be a very interesting debate to be ha- to have on the podcast. So we'll discuss this next week. Who are your Mount Rushmore Chiefs players? If there was a Mount Rushmore, and you and actually let, let me rephrase that: not Chiefs players, just anyone in the in the history of the Kansas City Chiefs, players and non-players. There was a Mount Rushmore, and you had to. Pick four Chiefs figures to put up there. Which four guys do you pick? I think this would be a very intriguing discussion. I'll post that question Thursday evening and I will read all of the responses for next week's podcast. So if you want to get in on the discussion, comment on that. I know we haven't done a a lot of Facebook interaction where we read a lot of the comments lately here on the podcast. So let's start that up a little bit. Because listen, it is the offseason. Yes, there's going to be a lot of draft talk, but... Uh, there's only so much we can really say with the draft, especially if you don't have a first-round pick. And I think, uh, you know, after the draft, there's going to be a lot of dead air in the offseason. So this is always a great time in the offseason to kind of look back historically, maybe uh, in recent years, talk about some of the what-ifs with the franchise. And just historically speaking, some of the best moments and some of the worst moments in franchise history. So let's do that. Thursday evening, uh, check it out on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash and if there's a Mount Rushmore and you have to put four Chiefs figures on there, which four guys do you pick? Let me know. As I said, I will read all of those comments on next week's podcast. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. 
So the NFL announced over the, uh, or earlier this week rather, that the color rush will no longer be a thing, or required thing at least, for Thursday night football games. Uh, I actually thought I was in the minority in this, but a lot of people actually agreed with me. I really love the color rush on NFL teams. I really do. In fact, for, for the Kansas City Chiefs, I, I actually don't like the red on white and the white on red. I, I just don't like them, and I think I'm more of a basketball jersey guy where uh, both the top and the bottom match color-wise. I love the red on red look on the Kansas City Chiefs. I really do, and I think the white on white look uh, also looks great on the Kansas City Chiefs. In fact, I, I love it when when teams have the same color for uh, for shirts and the pants. I, I I just like that look a lot better. I'm not a fashion guy, so take that for what it's worth. But a lot of you guys actually agreed with me on this. Now the NFL did say that even though they're not requiring the whole color rush deal, teams can still do this if they decide to do so. Kansas City has actually done this. A couple of times. You may remember in 2013 for the first home game that year, the very first home game under Andy Reid, the Chiefs decided to have red on red. And that was one of the surprises Andy Reid had because he thought it was a good look for the Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs have actually done this on uh, certain primetime football games. And I remember the first home game without Eric Berry in 2014 when he had to step away from football to deal with his health. He was a big fan of the red on red and the Chiefs wore the red on red in honor of him when they played the Denver Broncos on Sunday Night Football that year. So I hope the Chiefs will continue to uh, use the red on red a couple of times, and not necessarily every single game. I, I get they can't do that, uh, and I know they have to put in a request through the NFL to do this, but uh, I, I like that the NFL is allowing teams to have the option to still use the red on red because I like the look on Kansas City with the red on red and the white on white, and I hope other teams continue to do this as well. One other thing I do want to discuss, Baker Mayfield, of course, uh, making his way to the NFL. A lot of people wondering where he's going to go if his past, uh, what he's gotten in trouble for, how much is that going to affect his draft stock? Something it do- Some people think it will. Some don't think at all. Uh, Mark Sanchez of the New York Post. Not the Mark Sanchez you guys are thinking of. Not the quarterback. Not the terrible quarterback. Uh, there's a writer, ironically, in New York uh, named Mark Sanchez of the New York Post. Talked about how Baker Mayfield is getting compared to Johnny Manziel and there's a big media feud going on. Uh, a lot of people in the media having a back and forth debate about this. Robert Klemko, who is a writer for Sports Illustrated and is a big part of the Monday morning Monday morning quarterback series with uh, with the draft coming up. Uh, he has, he's been a big fan of Mayfield and has defended him quite a bit. Uh, he, he's been a big defender of his. And as a matter of fact, uh, according to Mark Sanchez, which I can't get over the name, uh, he, uh, Klemko has had some heated moments in media interviews that he's done on local radio stations throughout the country when being uh, brought on to talk about some of these soon-to-be rookies, and when the topic of Baker Mayfield came out, and what all these radio hosts have had to say in their questioning about him, Klemko has been very defensive about him, and I don't know if that's really Klemko's place to do anything about it. Listen, uh, let me just say this. He's gotten in trouble, and he has no one to blame but himself. Mayfield, that is. And I know people don't like this comparison, especially in Kansas City. They don't like when this is brought up, but I think it's, it's still worth noting Let's look at Tyreek Hill. This is a guy drafted in the fifth round because of what he did to his girlfriend at the time, now his wife, uh, choking her 
when she was pregnant at the time with with his own baby. And this guy fell all the way to the fifth round because of that. And in all of these redo mock drafts for 2015 or 2016 picks, Tyreek Hill is easily a first round selection. So a lot of people talked about this with Joe Mixon too. People immediately looked at Tyreek Hill because he was uh, probably the freshest player that had a serious off the field issue yet did really well in the NFL. Teams looked at that and, and probably thought, listen, if Tyreek Hill does well, maybe we can rely on a guy like uh, like Dixon to do well in, in the pro rankings. What about a guy like Baker Mayfield? When you look at Tyreek Hill and what he did, could Baker Mayfield, if he's surrounded by the right guys, and if he can mature, continue to mature, isn't he worth taking early? Because, listen, everyone was against Tyreek Hill when the draft pick happened. But as soon as he started playing well, that forgiveness became easier to to do. The forgiveness process seemed to be an easy thing for everyone to do. People felt weird about doing so, and some people just didn't even... Some people weren't even on board with it, but a lot of people ended up forgiving him. They were chanting his name when the Chiefs got a redo on a fourth down punt return against the Raiders. And right after they chanted his name... He takes it all the way to the house for a touchdown. So, I mean, there are a lot of things to consider with that when you look at Baker Mayfield and I guess this media feud that's going on with Klemko and a lot of the other reporters out there. I do want to talk about this for just a moment. NFL.com, they ranked all 18 quarterback draft classes uh, since 2000. Some of them, of course, too early to judge. Uh, but nonetheless, they went with the list. Number one was the 2004 draft class with Eli Manning selected number one overall. Philip Rivers, number four. Ben Roethlisberger, number 11. J.P. Losman also in the first, first round. Matt Schaub in the second round. Luke McCown, uh, Andy Hall, Josh Harris, Jim Sorge, a few other players also drafted. It's obviously a very good draft class. The second best draft class was in 2005. And there are a couple of things I did not know about this draft class. Obviously, we know Alex Smith was taken number one overall by the 49ers, eventually came to Kansas City. Aaron Rodgers was taken 23 picks after him. Jason Campbell, one pick after Rodgers. Uh, Charlie Fry also on this list. Kyle Orton, briefly with the Chiefs, also on this list as uh, another player, not not in Kansas City at least, uh, Dan Orlovsky. Derek Anderson was also on this list. I did not learn this until now. I guess this is just intriguing as a Chiefs fan. Uh, I did not realize that Alex Smith and Matt Castle were part of the same draft class. I had absolutely no idea. That never occurred to me once whatsoever. Uh, And by the way, speaking of Matt Castle, he was taken 230th overall, 229 picks after Alex Smith. And Ryan Fitzpatrick was taken 250th, 20 picks after Matt Castle in the second round. So close to going undrafted for uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Here's a very funny one. Uh, of course, you guys remember the suck for luck campaign that a lot of teams had out there. Here are the quarterbacks that went in the first round of the 2012 draft. Andrew Luck, number one. RG3, number two. Ryan Tannehill, number eight. Brandon Whedon, number 22. And Brock Osweiler was drafted in the second round. But the guys in the first round combined for zero Super Bowl rings. You want to know who has a Super Bowl ring? A guy who was taken 75th overall in the third round, 
Russell Wilson. Oh, by the way, guess who else was taken in the third round of that draft class? Also has a Super Bowl ring, a guy by the name of Nick Foles. Uh, so listen, and I'll, I'll be honest, I was part of that whole suck for luck campaign. I was hoping that would happen. But man, uh, I, I, I think this is really proof. The 2012 draft class is definitely proof that you, you should never tank or want to hope for a certain guy so badly. I know I felt that way about Deshaun Watson last year, but listen, you never know. You really never know. It's not like Pat Mahomes is miles away from having similar success to Watson. Absolutely not. Uh, but you look at Andrew Luck, whose career has been great when he's been available, but has been decimated by injuries. Hasn't played in more than a year. Yet you have guys like Russell Wilson and Nick Foles, who were drafted in the third round when there were one, two, three, four, five quarterbacks taken before. And those two guys have Super Bowl rings as starting quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins also part of this draft class as well. Very intriguing. Things that I didn't realize before until I had read this article written by Mark Seltzer of NFL.com. So certainly very interesting. Check it out if you get a chance. It's on NFL.com's front page. And it's written by Mark Sessler. Let's go out of bounds. Oh boy, uh, what a rough start it is for the Kansas City Royals. They're 3-7. And, and they uh, were the last team in the American League to pick up a win. They currently have the fewest wins in the AL. Uh, some fa- some of the fans, uh, by the way, and I think the cold weather, the extremely cold weather, which, you know, it's, I mean, we've had, we had a Royals game get called up because of snow. Uh, but a lot of, uh, I mean, no one's attending games. There are a few fans out there, a few Royals fans who are trying to be optimistic, and these are probably the same people who fell in love with the team and are still stuck with the 2014-2015 World Series runs who are saying that the Royals got off to a slow, slow start in 2014. Yes, that's true. The Royals were 4-7, and seven, very similar to the current 3-7 and seven start for the team. But listen, just because just you start 4-7 and seven one year, uh, and if you start four and seven again this year, it doesn't mean you're going to have the similar success you'll have uh, from from that from that same season. If the Chiefs start one and five this year, I'm not going to go crazy and bring up 2015 and how I think they'll turn it around and win ten straight to finish off the regular season. No, uh, every season is a different season. No two seasons are exactly the same. They're just not. You can have the same records, but how you get to that point certainly not the same whatsoever. So I'm not going to buy into this. And look. Let's just say it how it is. The Royals just don't have a good baseball team right now. They really don't. They've got a couple of great players, uh, but Alex Gordon currently injured. I almost, I almost said Alex Smith. Uh, Salvador Perez, of course, suffered that injury before the season got underway. Lucas Dude has been doing good, but there are just not a lot of bright spots on this baseball team right now. Starting pitching's been nice, but uh, bullpen, even after Joaquin Soria, still an issue, so... This is a Royals team that's just continuing to go down, and it's not looking good. By the way, a former Royal, Eric Hosmer, just a really unfortunate moment for him. He and a pitcher were trying to locate a pop fly uh, with two outs in extra innings. Hosmer comes in a little bit late uh, to try to close in, but lost sight of the baseball, dropped behind him, and the Astros won in 11 innings 
And listen, the, the pop fly mishap, that happens with every infielder. It happens at least once or twice, maybe even more throughout their careers. Uh, but the timing for that to happen for Hosmer, just terrible. That doesn't mean Hosmer is a bad player. I'm sure people in San Diego harped on his mega contract just for that one moment. But listen, if if Hosmer makes that mistake in the middle of the second inning on a single with uh, with no one on base, no one's talking about it. It's talked about a lot more because it came at a very crucial moment. So look, it's just one mistake that happened at a very terrible moment. And certainly should not affect what people think of Eric Hosmer as far as his abilities as a baseball player. The guy's a gold glove first baseman for a reason. Let's not forget about that. Ronda Rousey, I've been a huge critic of hers. But I've got to give her some credit. I did watch WrestleMania over the weekend. She looked great in her match. She really did. Better than what a lot of people thought. Now I will say, uh, for someone like Rousey who is a former Olympian in judo her armbar attempts on Stephanie McMahon and the defense Stephanie McMahon display okay come on look I know in real life and I get WWE's scripted and all but you also try to put that realism in there I know at the end of the day Ronda Rousey can put Stephanie McMahon and even Triple H and her tag team partner Kurt Angle who is completely fat and slow now she can put them in an armbar within seconds and by the way, uh, a funny moment with Kurt Angle taking a shot at TNA. They mentioned TNA on a WWE broadcast. But Ronda Rousey, she looked like she had fun at WrestleMania. Not only did she look great, she had a smile the whole time and was having fun. And enjoyed the moment afterwards where 70,000, 80,000 people in New Orleans were cheering for her after she won her match. So look, I hope she, she likes her new adventure, but I just wish she would not act like a sore loser after her losses. Because she loved the attention. She loves it now. But if something goes wrong, she doesn't want the attention to be on her. You just can't have it both ways. You can't. Final topic of this segment. Uh, the FBI revealed that... And this is the, regarding the KU scandal. They revealed that Adidas executive James Gatto, I believe is how you pronounce it, allegedly arranged to pay players to induce them to attend universities that are sponsored by that uh, apparel company KU being one of them Bill Self had no knowledge of this he had said this all along and I think knowing the details now certainly believable the players involved in this Josh Jackson Billy Preston Sylvia DeSouza guys who are linked to all of this and if this is all true listen this is not KU's wrongdoing here it's really not however I see Missouri fans in case and I'm not saying this because I'm a KU guy I've defended MU and K-State on certain occasions when KU fans jump on those two institutions when something goes wrong within their program. I know MU and K-State fans are jumping on KU for all of this. Let's slow down, folks. I don't care who your college team is. Every single school across the country, KU, K-State, Wichita State, Missouri, UCLA, Vanderbilt, Alabama, whatever school you want to name out there, Every single school across the country has done things they shouldn't have ever done. Whether it's programs themselves doing it or players involved in something like this whole Adidas issue here without coaches and athletic directors knowing about it. Not every school and not every player gets caught, folks. Please understand this with with the NCAA. There are too many rules and too many institutions for the NCAA to be on top of. 
And it's very difficult to track down every single... Think about how many college football players there are. There are a bunch. Think about how many college basketball players there are. Not Not as many, of course. But think of now how many teams are there out there. A lot. It's not easy... To keep track of every single player, what they're doing, what what certain coaches might be doing that's that's against the rules, and everything that that's going on with the rules, I guarantee you, people out there in the NCAA don't even know their own rules. Some of their own rules, at least. And by the way, uh, Gary Parish of CBS Sports, he thinks that the FBI will be the one to snap KU's streak of Big Twelve regular season titles. We'll see about that. Not holding my breath. And I know KU's losing a lot of players. I've I've gone against them before thinking they'll lose the Big 12, but they always find a way to win it. So even if they have 12 new players for their program, you just can never doubt Bill Self because he always finds a way to get on top of the Big 12, even with five new starters, which he's done occasionally during that streak of 14 years. Final segment of the show, let's throw some penalty flags. I know there's a lot of stories out there about Mark Zuckerberg and this Facebook privacy story and how Facebook's able to track down your social media, some of your social media interaction apps like your SMS and how that turns into all of a sudden whatever conversation you had on a text message, you see an ad placement of that on Facebook or Instagram and that's been a big topic of a discussion here. Um... By the way, a very terrible uh, moment where a lot of these senators thought they knew about Facebook, thought it, were, they were asking, when is Facebook going to be free for users, and, and just some, some other crazy questions uh, that are out there. But those who do know what they're talking about, they've certainly given their uh, side of the story in their case as to why Zuckerberg should be in trouble for this. Uh, but here's where I'm throwing the flag. People who are complaining about Facebook... They are complaining about Facebook on Facebook. They're complaining about Mark Zuckerberg on Facebook. Stop complaining, folks. Ironically, you're complaining on the platform that he created, and no matter the outcome, you will continue to use Facebook. You're going to upload pictures of yourselves on there. You're going to post sappy pictures of you and your significant other on your anniversaries and whatnot on Valentine's Day. You'll post holiday pictures. Teenage girls are going to complain about their boyfriends on Facebook. Everyone's going to continue to use Facebook. It's not going away. Certainly not going away anytime soon. So stop the complaining. I understand if you feel violated with your privacy. I do too. But at the end of the day, we're still going to use Facebook. An Arizona woman arrested for a DUI as she was on her way to a wedding. She uh, There was, a, I believe, a three-vehicle accident. And she was the cause of it, uh, and she was on her way to a wedding. Not just any wedding, it was her own wedding. There's a photo of her in handcuffs going into a squad car. And listen, I mean, I just despise these things. I I don't understand why people drink and drive or just do so many other things. We'll talk about that in our next story, by the way. But whoever wrote this article or or, or took the the photos or or, or was responsible for some of the captions here, they had fun writing this article. There's a uh, photo of her getting into the squad car, and the caption reads, 
Amber Young receives matching bracelets before her wedding, but they weren't on the bridal registry. The lead of that article is, maybe next time she'll say, quote, I do, to driving sober. And then at one point in the uh, article, uh, I guess there was a sergeant uh, uh, who was who, who, who had arrived at the scene and, and wrote about the case. Uh, he wrote a tweet, I guess, saying, quote, don't drive impaired till death do we part doesn't need help. Now, apparently, that's been deleted, but uh, certainly people had some fun at this woman's expense. It's, uh, it, she's in her a- actual wedding dress, and she's getting arrested. Uh, I mean, that just high, that just ruins the moment. That really does. I mean, that's your special day. You, you know, your family, your friends are all going to be there. Oh, by the way, the bride just got arrested because she had been drinking and driving. So, essentially, there's no wedding right now. Lovely. Just lovely. All right, I, I talk a lot more in, in detail about this on my other podcast, my MMA podcast, The Cage Zone Podcast. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys, I mentioned this last week, UFC 223 should have been a great pay-per-view, and it still was, but it was completely overshadowed by Conor McGregor's actions. Now, I'm sure everyone knows the story. Conor McGregor shows up from Ireland, uh, doesn't defend his belt, but felt the need to defend his friend because he was apparently bullied at the uh, host hotel. Uh, his friend, uh, Conor McGregor's friend, uh, is Artem Lobov. And Artem Lobov, uh, he had kind of a heated argument uh, with Khabib Nurmagomedov. Khabib Nurmagomedov wants to fight Conor McGregor, for those who don't know the backstory. And, I mean, really nothing happened. They got close to each other, but never they never got physical. They didn't hit each other. But apparently Conor McGregor, who bullies all of his opponents in press conferences, felt that his friend Arden was bullied because Khabib and a bunch of his friends were there. So what does he do? He gets 20, 30 of his friends from Ireland. They get on a private jet, fly to Brooklyn, New York. They show up to the Barclays Arena and they just trash the place and they start throwing dollies and chairs at at the bus where Khabib is and they want to fight Khabib. And in fact, they actually ended up injuring two other fighters on that bus. And uh, Artem Lobov got in trouble. His fight got canceled. Uh, the two fighters that got injured, their fights got canceled. Conor McGregor did a lot of damage here. And listen, here's the thing. I, I watched so many angles of what Conor McGregor did in this in this video where, where he's just leading his entourage trying to fight people on a bus. What is going on with Conor McGregor? This guy has done some nutty things lately. He went to uh, Bellator, a Bellator event. Bellator, which is a competitor of the UFCs. Not that they're very close in competition. There's a big gap between number one and number two. But uh, Conor McGregor had a friend who was competing in Bellator. And when Conor thought he got a knockout when it was actually the end of the round, he jumped on top of the cage and starts hugging his friend and even pushed the referee and the UFC didn't even give him uh, give him any kind of a punishment for that. Uh, and here he is doing another incident. There was a water bottle throwing incident with Nate Diaz a couple of years ago, and now this, where he's uh, basically vandalizing a bus and the arena, and of course got arrested for it. Listen, this is a guy who has a bunch of money. 
He left his girlfriend and his baby behind in Ireland. I'm assuming they were still in Ireland. Just to show up to Brooklyn to quote-unquote defend his friend, which nothing happened. They just had a verbal back-and-forth argument and wanted to get all physical and violent. Listen, people say money does crazy things to people. Sure, but that's not an excuse. Tom Brady doesn't make the most money in the NFL, but the money he makes from the Patriots, the money he makes from all of his sponsorships, the TB12 brand, every everything he has there. Oh, by the way, his wife, whose net worth is more than his, she makes a lot of money. So the Brady family make a ton of money. But you don't see Tom Brady going out there and getting into trouble with with the police, with the law. Sure, say what you want about the Flakegate and Spygate. Those are just football incidents. Well, and I, I know there are no facts with some of those things, but still, at the end of the day, Tom Brady's never done anything terrible, even though he makes a lot of money out there. LeBron James, same thing with Tom Brady, makes a lot of money playing the sport he plays, also makes a lot of money with some of the sponsorships he has, but he's using his money to open an elementary school. He doesn't use it to mock his opponents and uh, do crazy things. And listen, I know MMA is a bit of a different sport, but I don't know if I like where it is now with the excessive fighting at press conferences and whatnot. There is an entertainment value to it, I'll admit, but I do think it gets a little excessive, and Conor McGregor puts on a a character to do all, all of that. But I think the whole day when I saw footage of this and how this became front page news, and you guys know me, of course I host an MMA podcast, uh, and of course, MMA is my favorite sport. I, I, I'm just looking at this and I'm thinking to myself as it's on the front page of ESPN, Yahoo, Bleacher Report, everywhere, CNN. Why is Con- What's the logic in doing this for Conor McGregor? Why is a multimillionaire get, doing something completely stupid that he knows is out of line and he wasn't even apologetic about it afterwards? I have never seen a... I've seen pro athletes do stupid things. Like Tiger Woods. But I've never seen anyone do what Conor McGregor's doing. This is just borderline... Just just completely unheard of. I don't know how you can really justify this. There are Conor McGregor hardcore fans that that are defending him and think he can do no wrong and I'm just flabbergasted by all of this I don't know how this is possible for people to even think that way but he's got to get it together this is, this is not, no, no longer a UFC issue this is a personal issue for him he's got a court date this summer in Brooklyn that, that he's got to be at he could be dealing with some harsh punishments here and if I'm the UFC I add on to the punishments I don't release him because he'll go to the competitor in Bellator but make a statement here. Just because his name is Conor McGregor and he's a big-name superstar doesn't mean he should be able to get away with this. Because if I do anything like this, man, I'm in jail and I'm staying in jail. I'm not getting out. But man, Conor McGregor, this is just unheard of. And this is clearly a guy who's letting the celebrity status get to his head way too big. And he thinks he's some invincible guy that's above the law or above the sport above the world something something crazy and this is no way for anybody to act especially a rich and wealthy professional athlete 
this is just this is asinine. It really is, and it's an innocuous thing that he did last Wednesday. That'll do it for this episode of the Chief Stone Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Let me know about everything we've talked about here. What are your thoughts? Do you agree with anything I've said? Disagree? If there's another topic you want to talk about, let me know. Plenty of ways to do so. Facebook.com slash Farzimvesugian. Twitter.com slash Farzim21. Like and follow my page on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter. Also email me Farzim at Farzimvesugian.com. If you like the podcast, share it on social media. Subscribe on iTunes. Let your friends know about it. And share it with all of your friends who are Chiefs fans as well. Big thanks to you guys once again for listening to the podcast. We'll be back next week talking more about the Chiefs draft. What direction could they go in? I'll have a seven-round mock draft for the Kansas City Chiefs. I'll tell you guys who they're going to take with every pick. Plus, we'll of course go over our Mount Rushmore Chiefs. Who do I have in my Mount Rushmore of Chiefs? And who do you guys have? I'll read your comments as well next week. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the warmer weather in Kansas City. Hope, you, hope, hope those of you outside of Kansas City have some warm weather. Nonetheless, enjoy your weekend. Talk to you next week.